right, y'all know what it is. Let's get it started. Some people may know the GDs as the Gangster Disciples, uh, but as I learned through my research, mm-hmm. they're not, they now go by uh, growth and development. We are a community-based organization that promote the growth and development of individuals as well as community as a whole. Okay. Uh, what we try to do, we try to turn young boys to men. Are you guys still using the gang title at all, or is it just growth and development? Growth and development. Because I've never heard of growth and development before. Well, we, and how do we get to growth and development? See, what it is, you know, we've been on the news and everything. Okay. Like, one of the GDs was downtown, and some random car jumped out of the car and said, gave him a hug. Okay. I said, y'all the GDs, y'all the growth and development, y'all helping us out here. Okay. But one of the brothers on the internet, you know, you heard the bluffs? Yes, yes, one, yes. One of the brothers on the internet, then he seen some random person put on there, I can walk through my neighborhood because of growth and development. Okay. What we are doing now, we're doing neighborhood watches. Okay. We talk to these drug dealers, man. Okay. We can let them know, man, the right the way y'all going is the right way to go. And to say, to let you know that we're not the same ones, on Saturday at the rally, we had the, the Black Stones, the Black Peace Stones, we had the Vice Lords, okay. we had the Crips, okay. the Bloods, and we, that let you know gang society has changed. Okay. Back in the day, we would have towed that park up. Right, 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 right. But we all was out there, man, we, we, we marched down Cascade together. Okay. Well, you know, back in the 90s when they, um, you know, they came and uh, re-indicted our, our chairman. Mm-hmm. Free chairman who? Larry Hoover. Free chairman who? Yeah, they haven't really, you know, converged to growth development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, renegades that we're trying to bring on in, bring on in. But you know, some people got to take their time. With yeah, it. we go back to tribes as a people, and we're trying, from what I can perceive, from what they're saying, trying to save our community from the grassroots, like the Panthers did. Mm-hmm. They established a foothold in the community and utilized the intellect that was among them to organize. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need as a group, to organize. Mm-hmm. Now, when we look at gang-related material in general, I have to start with the Republicans, mm-hmm. the Democrats, <laughs> the Presbyterians yeah, versus you the... See, all of those are gangs. When I think of Larry Hoover, I'm burning. His bonin' bigger, his bonin' bigger, bigger, his bonin' bigger, bigger, his bonin' bigger, bigger, his bonin' bigger, bigger. Y'all know what it is. We about to get started. Best podcast in the world. Shout out to Biggie, R.I.P. Biggie. Trying to win, trying not to sin. How off weed and lock gin. So much 
monkey oxen, steadily counting Benjamins. Nigga, you should too, if you knew what this game would do to you. Been in this shit since 92. Look at all the bullshit I've been through. So far, be for you, monkey. Shout out to Deuce Deuce G's. Brooklyn rapper. Doing his thing. Best podcast in the world. My stepper gon' brush him if I press the button too drippy to scuffle. The blick in the duffel, it came with a muzzle, so why would I touch him? Diamonds dancing flooded. We don't turn nothing to something. Niggas be capping, bluffing, tweet that's a hole in your muffin. What's all attention? Try to run off with the drip, but they give me a mention. Switching, we bench them. Tree set the drop, we gon' pull up with blickies and drench them. Look at these actors, dropping the brakes, they ain't never spin Cali. Spinning for rappers, with the chances that he got his ratchet. It's gon' be a disaster, he ain't no step of that boy in the fashion. Stop all that capping, ain't for his mouth, cabbage, he in a casket. Gang, gang gon' whack him, he made a diss trying to get a reaction. Came with the catch him, crash him, whole gang spinning for the back end. Want me to be disrespectful, pull up to the funeral, spit in the coffin. Shout out to Joby Life. Go ahead, nigga, act up. Politics tail back up. Jersey rapper. My guy. doing welcome to episode 11 of the lawrence Souffrant podcast i am lawrence Souffrant. happy 7-4 day for all of my brothers y'all know what it is the struggle still continues i wanted to start off the podcast discussing some of the uh issues as it pertains to gangs uh because the reality is the media has done a good job in putting gangs in a bad light now i want to be abundantly clear I am not saying that I am a supporter of the gang activity that we've been seeing on the media. What I am saying is that the media only gives you a fraction, uh, probably the worst of the worst. In fact, some of those scenarios and situations were created uh, by the police force, by the government, um, you know, high high official organizations working against the black community. So many people, some people know, but many people don't know that gangs are actually created um, as a means to help the community, to protect the community from police brutality. And so the problem that we're having now is that there are systems in place to have uh, black people fight against each other. And by no means am I ever in support of black people fighting each other, but I am in support of black people protecting 
protecting their communities and protecting themselves. And the reality is it is time for us to protect ourselves. As it pertains to what you heard in the beginning, um, the GD group now being known as growth and development. See, a lot of people, they didn't even know about that. Uh, there was a clip I was going to play, but the intro is getting kind of long, so I didn't go all the way into there. But Larry Hoover was explaining how when he was inside, he was a changed man. He realized um, the 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 foul of his ways. He realized that the direction that he was taking his organization was a destructive one. And he has done his part in now telling his followers to not destroy the community, but to develop the community. And the reality was he was never about destroying the community. Let me say that again, because I want I want to make this abundantly clear, especially because some of you, um, this might be the first time you've ever heard about this. Uh, Larry Hoover was never, ever about destroying the community his movement his organization all the decisions that he was making was about helping the community the best way he know how and so um you can do your research but i'm, I'm be honest with you you're not going to get the truth about our community watching the news you're not going to get the truth of our community watching documentaries. You're not going to get the truth about our community by reading newspapers. You have to be in the community. You have to talk to the people that are involved in the community. And that is where you'll get the truth about who we are and what we're about. You have to remember this, my people. Uh, the media, uh, mainstream America is not on our side. It is, is deeply seeped in white supremacy. And so they're not ever going to give you the full truth of our brilliance. They're only going to share the downfall. Uh, and they want to program you to believe that your community is filled with nothing but, but, but drug addicts and murderers and womenizers and abusers and, and just all, all types of negative things. They want to convince you that that is the sum total of your community. But the truth is that is not the case. We are heroes. Uh, we are teachers. We are doctors. Uh, we, we are bankers. We are uh, real estate moguls. We are entertainers. Uh, we're athletes. Hello. And, uh, and, and as long as we can remain focused on the reality of who we are, we'll never allow white media to, to make us something that we're not. We will always uh, be remembered or we'll always recognize the reality that we are, in fact, brilliant. And so today I want us to kind of focus on celebrating our brilliance um, and not feeding into the media, you know, BS. And, and speaking of media BS, I'm sure that that you guys heard of Shikari Richardson, um, who was on her way to the Olympics. Uh, she got tested positive for marijuana. And now they're saying that she can't run. Now, I have a lot of mixed emotions. I want to be very careful with my words. I do want to say I feel really sorry for this young lady because she worked hard. She grinded and she was trying to get herself out of a better situation. And she represented the, the culture well. She did a good job in representing who we are, where we come from. And the reality is it is some BS to have her not run over some marijuana. I think we all know that marijuana is not a performance enhancer. Especially since if you heard her testimony about what went on, she took full responsibility. She 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 took full responsibility. Did y'all hear what I just said? She took full responsibility. So we want to make sure that that we honor the reality that she did not make any excuses. And I like that because the truth of the matter is there are no excuses. But she did give her reason, and her reasoning was she found out about the death of her biological mother from a from a stranger, from a reporter, and it, it shook her spirit. 
And so being from where she's from, being from where most of us are from, marijuana is a form of therapy. Now, whether you agree with that or not, it's completely irrelevant at this time. At the end of the day, marijuana has been the go-to for coping during difficult times in our community. And so, yes, on one end, she knew the risk. She knew the rules. And so for that reason, um, we can understand why they would say that she cannot run. On the other end, there needs to be an understanding that the rules were set up against us. They were set up to ensure that we would not be great. And black people were has been and will be dominating sports um, until Jesus comes. I'm going to be honest with you. We have been doing our thing, and they're looking for any reason to stop us from showing how superior we really are in comparison to the rest of the world. Now, some of y'all, y'all going to hate what I just said, but but the proof is in the pudding. No pun intended. Shout out to Bill Cosby, right? Uh, the proof is, in fact, in the pudding, right? We have been dominating. We have been scoring. We have been we have been excelling. We've been breaking records. And so even now to where the Olympics is trying to ban Afro shower caps, there is a blatant disregard for black people. And it's been like this. I'm hoping, as always, that as these things begin to rise, that we will wake up and realize that the system is, in fact, against us. It is not by accident. It is not by happenstance. These rules are designed to keep black people out. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to let them keep us out? Are we prepared to build our own? I don't see why. And look, if anybody does this, just give me some credit, right? I don't see why we don't have an African world sport where all African people, even in the diaspora, come together and represent their country and compete against each other, where now we will see that the whole continent of Africa is full of excellence. We'll find excellence in Brazil. We'll find excellence in the Caribbean. We'll find excellence uh, 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 all across the world. I don't see why there is enough money within the black elite where we can do something like that where we can put Africa on the map, where we can be proud of ourselves, where we don't need the validation um, and the support of those who are against us. At some point, we have to do something to build ourselves up. With that being said, I got my good boy, um, Mar Marquise Johns, Dr. Marquise Johns. <laughs> I'm not sure if he got his doctorate yet, but he's a doctor in my eyes. He's a brilliant man. We're going to talk about uh, the role of the church and social justice. You don't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. So I got my guy with me. You know what I'm saying? One of my good guys from college, met him in college, and uh, he's doing some amazing things. So I'm going to bring him up to the stage. My boy Keith, what's going on with you, fam? What's going on with you, Doc? What's up with you? How you feeling? Man, you already know, man, feeling good. How about yourself? Good. We do the best we can with what God has given us. You know, we nice. out here on the trying to uh, make it do what it don't. You know, that was a phrase back in the day, <laughs> Caps, making it do what it do. Now nah, I'm trying to make it do what it don't. Word, so what you, yeah, yeah, so that's that's it, man. That's it. I feel that. I feel that. But real quick, introduce yourself so the people know who you are. Right, right, right. So uh, by title, I am pastor uh, by... Uh, employment. I am the director of Adventist Community Services for the Southeastern California Conference of Seven-day Adventism. Out on the West Coast, I'm also the evangelist for the Black Ministries Department. I wear a couple of other hats where I'm in charge of for the entirety of the conference, prison ministries and men's ministries. Uh, and every now and then I, I stand in the pulpit at the Mount Rubido Seven-day Adventist Church and say a couple words. But other than that, you know, uh, preacher, Father, minister, departmental director, that it is what it is. 
Mm-hmm. Once in a while, you you stand in the pulpit, right? Once in a while. Yeah. Every. I mean, no real talk. Every once in a. I mean, like, uh, because as of late, man, you know, I've been I've been helping my vice president out in the pastoral search committee for the Mount Rubidoux Church, which is in transition, looking for a new pastor, and so I've had to. More people are coming to associate me with Rubidoux than they are with the other things because my directorial duties are all behind the scenes. They're not necessarily putting me in the forefront. So yeah. Right, right, right. And I'm sure you like it that way though. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's so, so real talk and Lawrence, you know, like you said, we met in college, both studying with the old men, you say studying the ministry. Uh, But, but, but I found is, and, and I think this is a good segue for what I understand your conversation, this conversation to be about is you, you really think, in our organization that there is power concentrated in the, in these departments or in these titles outside of the church. But the truth of the matter is the work is actually on the front lines. And so mm-hmm. while there is a measure of autonomy, you have in a directorial capacity, the reality is I'm closer to administration. So they're mm-hmm. there. They tinker a little bit more than when you're in your local church, in your local church, there are clear boundaries. And so sometimes I walk the line of man, uh, when I was in the local church, I was able to build a platform for what I deemed necessary in that community with that congregation. Whereas now you don't have that platform. You service a multiplicity of individuals trying to, you know, manage the tension between the higher ups and this, this almost like lack of platform. So there are times when it's better to be behind the scenes. And then there are other times when it's not about being in front of the camera or in front of the scenes, if you will, but more so about knowing that you have a consistent platform for whatever God is downloading into you. You have a platform to express that you have a platform in order to um, support individuals whose ministries or whose ideologies align with yours. Whereas mm. as a director, I don't have a platform necessarily. Right. Mm, mm-hmm. um, appreciate the, the, the season that we're in with the proliferation of technologies and abilities to use technologies to build virtual platforms. But the reality is uh, there is still, I mean, we miss the fellowship and uh, with my director duties, I don't have the time and the space always to be on a virtual, like, like between what I have to do as a director in various ministries and, you know, the preaching assignments and the opportunities I get like this one. Thank you for this opportunity to come on and share. I don't really have time to be running my own, you know, stream yard, social media platform like that. So, yeah, you know, yeah, it's a little yeah. bit of both. And well, not nah, you, you actually bring up a good point because, you know, as we've been transitioning and as you've been noticing, I'm sure that uh, the church overall has become a little more vocal when it comes to social uh, so- social justice or social injustice, I should say. It's good to see, but what I'm noticing is a lot of people have been very comfortable with the digital platforms and treating that as if it's actual activism. And there's no mm-hmm. offense to those people. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I'm not trying to, you know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. not trying to play mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Or, or minimize them, but I... For me, for someone who is, you know, um, tied with someone very close who has experienced, you know, police murder and seeing what the family really needs and then looking Mm -hmm. at what the church is doing, it's Mm -hmm. like y'all look good to the people who aren't actually suffering from what the police are doing. Those who are actually victims of of police uh, terrorism, 
Mm. Are, they don't they don't need these these speeches. They don't really, you know, you sound good, bro, but you know, it's the first Christmas and he's not there. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. child's first it's the first birthday where he's not there. It's the mm-hmm. it's a lot of that first year can be very, very traumatic. And so, um, and I don't think the church has done or is doing what's necessary to help those victims outside of some type of incentive if the victim chooses to join the church or whatever the case is. So let's kind of just go into that, bro. Let's let's, let's talk about it. No, you, you, you spot on. And what, what I'm going to, what I'm going to say here is I was talking to um, a a fellow minister and colleague of ours. And I was, I I, I said, let, let me make this distinction for you. The truth of the matter, with the exception of a couple of individuals um, in the regional context, and for your listeners who may not be familiar, in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, particularly here in North American Division, there are uh, the PC nomenclature is regional conferences and state conferences. Correct. But in actuality, we know as black conferences and white conferences, segregation, apartheid at its finest. Um, but I was talking to this fellow, this fellow colleague of ours, and I was saying, like, with the exception of a couple of people, the truth of the matter is I've noticed that the voices who are consistent in the space of, and I'm going to make a distinction from social justice and what we might term black liberation theology, or even one of the issues in social justice, police brutality, voter registration, et cetera, which have become very important in the recent days. And since last year, mm-hmm. but I've noticed that the individuals who are speaking out uh, more consistently against racism, um, wage reform or labor reform or immigration. These are individuals who are black people, but are working in white contexts. Mm. <laughs> Whereas the brothers in the regional or the black context, they aren't as uh, vocal, if you will, in some regards. Now that's mm. nothing against them. I do know that when you look at colonialism and how it's set up, that, the greater amount of policing does not come from without our communities. It oftentimes comes from within our communities. You have Mm -hmm. the people who are in charge shucking and jiving for the Mm -hmm. colonists and wanting Mm -hmm. to police the colonized so that we don't uh, disrupt the apple cart that they enjoy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that's, so that's one. So that's one. So another thing is, I think to your point, Individuals, because of what happened last year, because of the explosion of the black conscious during the George Floyd trial and Mm. what happened with Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor specifically, we were already in a season of lockdown because of COVID-19. And I think it was just too much for the presidents to police. That's number Mm. one. Number two, Mm. in the white context, there is still, it's still murky. And I'm talking about particularly in the Seventh-day Adventist religious context, denominational mm. context. In mm. the white work, it's still a little murky to where I don't think they know what they can and can't say mm. to the brothers and sisters who are speaking out against racism and classism and mm. and, and wage discrimination and socio socioeconomic injustices that exist in the African-American, Afro-Latino and various marginalized contexts. Right. So they don't. Mm-hmm. So they're so, they're, so. So it's example, a white president may not come to a black preacher in his con- context to say, hey, I think you lean a little bit too much into that racial injustice thing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. 
if you notice Amazon, Netflix, and everybody else, all of a sudden was so very accommodating to Black Lives Matter. And I think that that has rolled over into because oftentimes Christianity and Adventism in particular is complicit with the social order of the day. For instance, during during the Civil War, our denomination uh, made a hard stand on, you know, where they stood in the North and the issues of the North and the South. And they became heavenly minded and rendered themselves no earthly good and mm-hmm. rejected the, the, the prophetess or the mm-hmm. messenger of the denomination and sent her off somewhere because mm-hmm. she was like, Hey, we need to say something. We need to do something. So I think that you are right in that in this virtual space, we've seen the people a little bit more, uh, expressive in the issues of social justice, social injustice, uh, racism, and mm-hmm. etc. Because one, in the black work, it isn't as prevalent as one might think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two, in the white work, white presidents and ministerial leaders are still kind of figuring out how to address, I believe, when their pastors say things that challenge the status quo. And so with that, coupled with you look around nowadays, everybody got a Facebook page, everybody got Instagram account, everybody got a podcast, everybody got a, you know what I mean? So so yeah. can can the president really be policing everything? So I think that lends itself to what you identified as this, you know, again, proliferation in the church of this particular content. And then I also want to say that it's not the church. There are mm. some individuals Right. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm, the church mm -hmm. ain't the church. You know, when you look on the general conference website and you look to the leader of the denomination, he's silent. You know, he's not saying anything because he continues to pander to to the continent, Africa, where colonialism still has its 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 talents, if you will, in the people. And so he knows if you go out there and give them some sandwiches. And that's not to say nothing about my brothers on the continent, but Mm -hmm. their social economic situation is significantly different from that of the black in America or the African Mm -hmm. in America. And so Ted Wilson panders to them because as long as he can give them very menial things in in, in the same vein as colonialism, he has their vote and or support. And Mm -hmm. so that trumps the consciousness of the African in America that has experienced civil rights movement, that has experienced the black power movement, that has experienced, um, you know, liberation theology, black liberation theology, et cetera. Yeah. Now you, and so when I say the church, uh, for those who are listening, I'm talking about uh, Christendom as a whole. Ah. Yeah. And because you are um, connected to Adventism, but you keys, cause you know, you're really, you're a humble guy. And and, and I say that to mean, uh, you know, because I always say you cannot be humble if you're not great. Only greatness can humble itself. If you are already trash, but you know what I'm saying? And so, and so Keith, while, while he is heavily influenced or connected, I should say, um, in the Adventist arena, I want my listeners to know Keith is connected to non-Adventists as well. And True. so his views, he's, he's marketing directly. He's talking directly to Adventists because that's his primary work, but he is connected to to clergymen outside of Adventism, which gives, I believe, gives you a more well-rounded approach and things. So well, I always have high oh, respect for you for that. Oh, bless you, Doc. So so if we're talking in that regard, the see, there are seven black denominations in America, and mm-hmm. they have, you know, as as evidence in, you know, everybody also is now 
uh, so well versed in the black church because PBS <laughs> did a uh, did a did a, a, a documentary, which was a great documentary. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but the yeah. black church, particularly in America, outside of Adventism, which is a whole nother conversation. And as you guide, as you lead, I will follow yeah, yeah. But the black church at large, the black Protestant church at large, long through off the shackles of watch this, Lawrence, watch mm -hmm. this of spiritual colonialism. Uh huh. Uh -huh right. Uh -huh. Long ago, they disassociated themselves with white Christianity and white Protestantism so that they could carve out for themselves an agenda that met the needs of their constituents. Mm -hmm. Adventism has not done that. Right? Adventism has not done that. We are still catering and pandering to our colonial masters and uh, subservient to their agenda to where it impacts our ability to minister in communities where our churches are with people who look like us. But when we're talking about broader Christianity, I mean... My boy Freddie Haynes been giving the devil hell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, Howard John yeah. Wesley been knocking the devil upside his head. You mm. know, uh, my pastor Bishop Thomas been for 50 years giving him mm. hell. You know, uh, the late great Dr. Charles Edward Booth been on their necks. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, mm. so when you talk about, and these are all people that I have either have either preached for me or I have preached for. Mm -hmm. Right. All they they been on that. Like we, mm. the Adventist churches, Johnny, come lately because we still on the plantation. Right, right. No, that's a fact. That's a fact. And so, and so let's talk real because this, like you said, this conversation can go in a plethora of ways. Um, and we might, we might even hit some of those points, but let's start with this. Um, because I still identify as a Christian, right? Right. I identify as a Christian, uh, loosely in that mm -hmm. my definition of a Christian is very broad, very basic. I follow the teachings and the person of Jesus Christ. That's yeah. for me, that is a Christian, right? I am not ignorant to the history of Christianity. And what I tend to um, discuss with people who are leaving the Christian name, I tend to discuss what they're calling Christianity is Roman Catholicism, because there's always been a branch of people who were not under Roman Catholicism, but still mm -hmm. identified as Christian. Even when we go to the scripture where it said they were first called Christians in Antioch, there was no Roman Catholicism. Christianity did not look like what Constantine created. And You're so right. I make a hard distinction and say, I could still be Christian because what Christ is about is not what the colonial white westernized Christianity is about. And so I, I'm not going to allow them to steal my Christianity um, because they want to, you know, follow the devil and do what the devil does. I'm still holding on. But at the same time, I'm not hard to defend Christianity because I recognize everyone, everyone who claims to be Christian isn't really following Christ. All who named the name. Amen. That's it. That's it. You know what I'm saying? And so understanding that we can't, we can't determine allies and brotherhood by titles anymore. We only determine it by spirit. I want to ask you, what do you think the role of the church, the church being those who follow Christ, whether in name or in actuality? Because I hold people accountable who, who take on the name Christian. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what do you say the role of the church should be when it comes to social justice? Well, well that, that's a great question. And I think, um, again, since there was, I believe, an, a quasi you know, reawakening of the collective black consciousness after, you know, George Floyd, Amal Aubrey and Breonna Taylor. I think that, and, and I see this in 
more so, and, and since you know you you opened it up, more so in my own denominational ranks than I do in the seven, what we call the magnificent seven black denominations. Um, and that is now social justice is chic. It's it's vogue. It is, you know, um, if we're pandering to a particular demo, which is the millennial centennial demographic, you know, you have to speak on social issues, right? You know that you got to preach a sermon in some, I've noticed individuals wearing more Pan-African colors, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've noticed, uh, up until what happened with George Floyd, we only brought out our kente in February. <laughs> talk about it. No, <laughs> talk about saying? it. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And um, but I'm noticing now that there is a number of individuals who, because it's chic, because it's vogue, because it's you know uh, something that we're all supposedly supposed to be into now, that we, we're preaching sermons, we're wearing attire and clothes under the guise and auspices of we're socially conscious. This is mm -hmm. social mm -hmm. justice. And I think that before I talk about what the role of the church should be is and or is not, I think that there needs to be a definition of social justice. I think we I'm need to that. understand what the principles of social justice entail. And so when we're talking about the principles of social justice, um, I'm this is not by any means exhaustive, but just something right. to put in the conscious of your listener. Um, when we're talking about social justice, First of all, social justice is broken up into two categories, uh, intersocial treatment and uh, unequal, what I'm going to call unequal government regulations, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. when we're talking about social justice, think of two categories, intersocial treatment and unequal government regulations. That's first, right? So mm -hmm. then now that we have these two categories, let's talk about some of the principles that govern social justice. We're talking about resources. We're talking about equity. We're talking about participation and we're talking about human rights. And mm -hmm. so again, here, here is, here is uh, social justice. Here are two categories that, and this is, again, this is by no means exhaustive. Somebody right, else right, may come right, and right. say, well, I think, you know, there are three or there are five or there are 10, mm -hmm. but I'm mm -hmm. thinking, you know, inner, inner, inter, uh, social treatment and unequal government, uh, legislation and government regulations. And then mm -hmm. we want to talk about resourcing. We want to talk about or resourcing or access. We want to talk about human rights. We want to talk about participation. We want to yeah. talk about equity. And so when we're talking about uh, the first of the two categories, intersocial treatment, understand that what we're talking about primarily there are when groups of people are being marginalized based on personality or personally mm -hmm. held biases and prejudices. So that's mm -hmm. where you have race. That's where you have gender. That's where you have ageism. That's where you have sexual orientation. That's where you have religion. That's where you have nationality or ethnicity. And that's where you have education. That's where you mm -hmm. have uh, physical and mental illnesses uh, or physical mental health issues. So mm -hmm. that is intersocial treatment. And then we talked about the other one is unequal government regulations. That's when we mm -hmm. think about things like voting rights and we think mm -hmm. about policing rights. We think about environmental rights. We think about healthcare, education, and labor. And so everybody in our con or in the Seventh-day Adventist context, when they say social justice, they're only really talking about a few social justice issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, And yeah. those issues 
are more so they're not necessarily always unequal government regulations. They fall more into the intersocial treatment. Uh Right. Yeah. And so. So. But then as a black person, when we're talking about social justice, we're also really only talking about issues that affect people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, and and I'm not I'm just I'm just, you know, defining right. for the audience today when we're talking about and, and because I want I want to I'm going to come to, you know, what <laughs> Adventist, you know. So when we're talking about those two categories. Yeah. And we're talking about issues. What we really see is various individuals in our in the Adventist denominational ranks now addressing issues like racism, mm-hmm. welfare, religious um, intolerance, voting rights, criminal justice, capital punishment, health care, poverty, mm-hmm. um, the minimum wage mm-hmm. uh, situation, mm-hmm. right? And these are things that affect the African-American or the Black community specifically um, and directly, the <laughs> church, the Adventist church specifically, is not necessarily concerned with intersocial treatment, right, because right, in right. our own co- context there is mm-hmm. ageism, in our own context there is gender discrimination, in our own context there is, like I said earlier, Adventist apartheid, in our own context there is religious intolerance, in our own context. <laughs> In our own context, there is yeah, yeah. education disparities in our own context. Right. Um, and so then I would say that our denomination is not necessarily concerned about unequal government regulations, because right. here is the truth. There are unequal church regulations when That's we're talking fact. about voting. Yeah. Um, and even mm. when we look at when we when <laughs> we look at um, how we are encouraged and or discouraged to take to lend our voices to not just. Watch this, not just the American educational disparities, but also how we operate a full rung, a full educational, Adventist educational system in communities where individuals can afford to partake and or participate. The truth of the matter being oftentimes people who go are members, are generational Adventists, can't even afford to send their their kids to those schools. And so- what the church could and or sh- what what it's doing is little to nothing. It is, you know, for the most part, sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, right? like you said earlier, like you said earlier, it's a lot of talk. It's a lot of rhetoric. You know, we applaud leaders when they put out statements, but those statements don't necessarily have the requisite actions. Right. Correct. And so Correct. what the church yeah. is doing is talking. Um, what the yeah. church is doing is preaching. I, I, I was I was disgusted with myself. And preached a sermon after January, the Saturday that followed January 6th, because I just didn't understand why everything in me, Lawrence, wanted to go find a text to exegete after white nationalist racists had just stormed mm. the Capitol building as though this was La Paz, Bolivia or somewhere. Mm, mm. Right. So, yeah. so my, my, the first thing I thought to do was, mm, this sounds like something out of Acts. You know what I mean? Like the first thing I thought to do was, Mm, I bet you Ex- Ooh, Exodus got something for this, right? Mm. That, my, that was my first thought. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I watched many of my colleagues do the exact same thing, the right? Exact same I mean, thing. We yeah. had, like, honestly, that Sabbath, I heard some of the dopest sermons I heard in a long time. But yeah. Negroes ain't do nothing. So there was, a lot, was. Talk, yeah. a lot of talk, but no action. Now, you, because because here's the thing that many, you, you talk about humble and greatness. Many people of your listeners, I don't know how well they know how dope you are with their language, like with the languages. I remember just mm. marveling at how well you did in like Hebrew. And I was like, yo, yeah. he's weird. 
right? Because <laughs> I had to go to summer school and still, you know, hello. Uh, <laughs> right? But, but, but so in, in, in academia, sometimes it does, there is room for the academic activists. There is room yep, yep, for yep. the media activists. You mm -hmm. know, there is room for those who are articulate to give, to, to put pen to paper, to articulate the public pain, to, yeah, to, yeah. to offer creative solutions, to critique the dominant ideologies. Those three things are what Walter Brueggemann says that we should always be doing in our sermons. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so there is space for that. However, when there's so much talking and very little action is sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. And so oh, that's absolutely. what the church is doing and mm. what the church is not doing. Now, what, what should the church be doing? And, and I got to be honest with you. Um, one of my mentor mentees, because I, I, I definitely appreciate the input and the critique of those younger than me, um, mm -hmm. uh, Claudia Marion Allen. If you've heard Claudia, you would know that Claudia is, I mean, just, a brilliant individual, well-studied, academically astute, adroit mm. at pulling concepts in present day and finding their parallel in African-American literature and in African-American, mm. specifically African-American history. But she is also more expansive in her research. So mm. she into Native American and I'm going somewhere. Stay with the preacher. Native American theology, Chinese theology, this theology. And so her and I talking, I had to tell her, I said, I, that ain't my, 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 that ain't my burden. Right. <laughs> my burden is, is Africans. Right. Yeah. My burden is the black man. Right. And yeah. so when when you ask me what the church should be doing in terms of social justice is it, it because we have been colonized. You know, Stokely Carmichael makes a statement in one of his speeches where he said black people, Africans in the world experience two things. Some individuals had the land taken from them. Colonialism. Others were taken from the land, mm. slavery, right? Mm. And so we in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you know, are ha both have had our land taken and are being taken from the lands, if you will. So right. we're being educated yeah. right out of the ghettos. Yeah. We can no yeah. longer be in the ghettos because our education, what we make, makes us. I live, I don't live in South Central, you know what I'm saying? I live right, right, where right. I feel that my family would be safe, um, mm -hmm. which is a problem when you look at how Blacks excel socioeconomically, leave the ghettos and don't even send resources back. This is, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a system where we send the resources generated at the local level away from mm -hmm. the church and away from the communities that generate those things, right? So we're sending the majority of our resources to the conference and away from the communities that generate those finances and resources and right, could right. benefit from them. So we see we're sending re we're, 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 we're taking resources from communities where home ownership has been impacted by redlining and blockbusting, where where generational wealth is non-existent because of slaveocracy and black codes, mm, communities mm. where the family has been all but decimated by poverty, drugs and mass incarceration, communities where education is substandard because high poverty areas have lower home values and collect fewer taxes. Right. 
And so what I would like to see is I'd like to see us be able to keep some of those resources Mm -hmm. so that we Mm -hmm. could do more than talk about social justice. If we feel like there is a a home ownership discrepancy, we now have resources not only to teach about how to do real estate, but to possibly invest in individuals doing startup, being startup at real estate or paying for some individuals to get real estate licenses. If we see that there's an educational disparity in communities that we pastor, we have the latter to to offer uh, full ride scholarships from mm-hmm. pre K through eighth grade in our institutions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If we see that um, there is uh, racism or there is, you know, like again, the things that 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 you know, where we see that there are situations where I pass in North Philadelphia and my community have the seventh largest recidivism rate in the state of Pennsylvania. We know that mass incarceration is disproportionately affecting people of color. Well, we could go into the, into the jails and not only preach to them, but educate them and then have halfway houses that we set up because we have the resources to ensure that within a year, they don't go back to jail. That's what the church is doing, what the church is not doing. And as far as I'm concerned, because my first order of business is to black people the world Mm -hmm. over, Mm -hmm. right? People make the statement that colonialism and capitalism has positively impacted the black man, but that's because they're only looking at our history from the time that Europe discovered Africa. Brother man, if we was in Africa, there's no guarantee, but I'm allowed to, to, to fantasize I'd probably already be a millionaire, right? Yo, no, what you're saying is is a fact. There's a book by uh, Walter Rodney. I don't know if you heard of Dr. Walter Mm -hmm. Rodney, but he wrote a book called How Europe Undeveloped Africa. And yeah, he he breaks down. And I mean, it's it's a it's a boring read for those who are looking for crazy stimulation. But the information that he gives when he talks about what it means to be underdeveloped, when he talks about what development is and how mm-hmm. underdeveloped is not comparison to anybody else, but it's based on your natural development. And he was saying how the way Africa was naturally developing had Europe not interrupted, it would have continued in a particular trajectory uh, that would have made it surpass any civilizations we've ever seen. And not just in, you know, West Africa or Egypt, those are like the, the highlighted areas, but he gives examples in Central Africa and in Southern Africa. And he just mm-hmm. explains how Europe caused Africa to move backwards. And colonialism says, it's your job to press forward after we've messed you up. Um, mm-hmm. And even if we deal, if we talk um, objectively, the liberation or the independence, I should say, of African countries, they're not real independence. They're pseudo-independence because they still owe their colonials a, 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 a whole lot of debt, right? They're still de- mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. They're still depending um, on, their, on, their, uh, on their oppressors for manufacturing rights and all, all these other things that's going to keep the, the country at a, at a lower level, in, in an oppressed level. And right. so... The what you're saying is actually correct. Even the value of money, you know, they just passed the bill, another relief bill, right? We about to get relief, and the way that it's inflating our dollar, you know, it's only a matter of time. If it wasn't for the military might of of the U.S., our dollar would be worthless right mm-hmm. now. That's just a, it, that's it, just the whole fact. It, it, the truth of the matter is, and you know that the, the dollar is worthless, right? Yeah. The dollar is absolutely. I mean, there was a time <clears throat> before my grandmother, when I was little, my grandmother would have a, what she called original silver notes that showed mm-hmm. our dollar was based on 
you know, silver and or gold that yes. America had, which yep. has been depleted. <clears throat> and so you're, you're, you're spot on, bro. And, and I think that, again, Adventism, in a way, in a very real way, perpetuates colonialism here in America, right? Absolutely. You have you have us sending away again our best resources, whether it's our the minds of people who make it out, or if it is the financial, the might of the dollar we now make and or generate <clears throat> because we are upward, we're middle class and upper middle class. Yeah. And so for me, what I would like to see is I'd like to see us, you know, go back to the table and particularly here in North America, because um, again, as you pointed out, speaking to my context specifically, you know, North American division generates over $700 million a year. That's insane. Right? We're sending that to the general conference. That's insane. You say, wait, 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 wait. I don't want to rush past <laughs> that because I got what you said, but I want to make sure the listeners heard what you said. Mm -hmm. So when you say that they generate $700 million, you're talking about that's the funding that they're sending to the general conference. Mm -hmm. North American division is sending over $700 million to the general conference. The closest division sending as much money as we are is the inter-American division, the IAD, which is uh, South America, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you think about South That's America, okay. where you know the favelas in Brazil mm -hmm. and the plight of the people, what, whether they're in Caribbean countries associated with America or Caribbean countries associated with South America, you know that the economic disparities of those people is tremendous yeah but in contrast the african divisions don't generate that much money correct correct they just have the manpower they just but got what people. we do is we're taking all of that money away from the people who are generating it here in america and sending it so that we can continue to colonize yep. africa yep. you know act as though we're pouring into them so that we can count on their votes when we yep. don't want to ordain women here in america the fact that's a fact when right. i went to africa i was shocked to see um, and not to cut you off, but I was shocked Go to ahead, see no, no. how the Africans are so colonialized mentally, you know, still dressing in suits, still singing the hymns that we sang. And when I first went to Africa, because I've been privileged, you know, I've been I've been blessed, fortunate to go to Africa several times. Right. Um, several times to Ghana and then once to Zimbabwe. And it was a beautiful experience. When yes. I went to Ghana, it was beautiful. Until I went to the Adventist church and realized, man, I feel like I feel like I'm in not just in in an American church, but in a white American church, the way that the order of services was going. And it was crazy. In fact, we was having um, we, we, we did a wedding out in Ghana. Me and the wife, we did a, a ceremony out in Ghana. The people who were running it for us decided to do it in an Adventist church on the strength of us. But when we when we was dealing with them, we said, hey, we're already married, but we have family here who couldn't go to our wedding in, in the States. So we're doing one here. They were still trying to control how our wedding would go. So it would fit Adventist standards to the point even that at the reception, because they were popping bottles, the ministers and the elders left the reception. First, they try to say there could be no alcohol at the reception. And it's like, that's not your jurisdiction, sir. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm only bringing it up to show this idea of control, because that's what colonialism really is when you yes. bring it down. Yes. It's control to the point where they can even worship in their own native tongue, in their own native style. And we are, and they almost feel like they have to take on the European mandate because of the money we pump yep. to them. You're yep. right. That's to your yep. point. Yep. Taking yep. the money out and bring and pumping it there so that we can get their votes.
Yeah, Franz Fanon says, in the colonial context, the settler only ends his work of breaking in the native when the latter admits loudly and intelligibly the supremacy of the white man's values. Wow. Right? And wow. so and so and so w- w- the point that I would where I was driving to to corroborate what you were just saying is this in America, if the Adventist church is generating $700 million and that's leaving our communities, that's leaving our country, that's leaving our um, neighborhoods. What I would like to see the church do is recognize, as I pointed out earlier, some of the things that contribute to the issues, right? So white people aren't baptizing more people, that's right? White people just have generational wealth. Yeah, yeah. That they continue to pump into Adventism the way that they would have pumped it into Catholicism, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, so that generational wealth gives them the economic upper hand mm. over blacks because then they would say, well, you guys aren't generating as much money, but we are the people, us and the Hispanics, who are continuing to put bodies in the, in the buildings, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I would like to see our denomination say, look, we recognize that for years, we actually benefited from redlining and blockbusting. Yeah. We realized that for years we were able to amass generational wealth. Because when you think about when you think about what's happening in our churches, let me give you a parallel in early American history where you get a GI Bill, you come home and you get a house, you own your house. Mm-hmm. Some people were buying houses for twenty, thirty thousand dollars at the time. The house begins to accrue and amass equity. Mm-hmm. Over the 18 years, you know, you come home, you get your high school sweetheart, uh, you get a good job at the manufacturing place, but you own your home and you have a baby. And over the 18 years, 18, 20 years that 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 child grows, your home is accruing equity. When it's time for the child to go off to to college, you, you borrow against that equity or you, uh, you know, you, you, you pull that equity out of your home, if you will. Mm -hmm. Child goes to school for free. Yeah. Right. Come back home, uh, lives in a neighborhood that is good because you've kept out the element. You know, you kept Mm. black folks out. So they put they come right back to those communities oftentimes early on in the American history and put put money into those communities and those neighborhoods. Right. Mm. Uh, Bought homes or lived in their parents home, inherited Mm. their parents home. So when they didn't have a house note. right? Right. And so but then in the black community. Right. Our communities were decimated by drugs, particularly, you know, everybody's probably also watching the um, the recent movie on the real Black Panther. Coogler gave us after he gave us the fake Black Panther. Um, <laughs> and and if you look at where black people have been impacted negatively socioeconomically, it, it bears a strange resemblance to where there were pockets of conscious black people. So, yeah. you know, the history of Malcolm X and the mosque that he ran, you know, Harlem and Chicago. Mm-hmm. You know the origin of the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. Oakland. You yep. know, so you look, you look, or you know where Stokely Carmichael first landed and and came to national acclaim, Mississippi, Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at you look around the map, you go, wait a minute. So this is where crack is killing. <laughs> this is where black people ain't never own nothing, right? You yeah, go, yeah. wow. And you and then when you find that it was systematic and it was intentional on the part of the government. Exactly. Right. So so then now watch this in the Adventist system. And this is where, if you know, you know, Adventist history, Lewis Sheaf and J.K. Humphreys ended up leaving the denomination because the denomination showed up with this very antiquated and pro 
European pro-colonial context, I mean, mindset mm. of, oh, your church has bought some property, turned the deed over to us. And Louis mm. Sheaf and J.K. Humphreys was like, I'm sorry, what's your, what's your turn, man? What? <laughs> you got to understand, Louis Sheaf is, joins the church, you know, in the 1860s, 1870, well, 1870, mm. right? Mm -hmm. 1899, he writes to Ellen White and he's like, yo, um, so is there a place for the Negro in this real? It really because when I became a part of this, did I have to forget that I needed to help my own people? Wow, right? wow. He had, he had an idea for this thing called um utopia, something utopia lands or something like that. And th the conference was like, nah, nah. But it was I think that was actually I think that was Humphreys, right? But Humphreys noticed that they were buying a campground for the conference, Greater New York Conference at the time, but that the black kids couldn't participate. Wow. So they raised money and said, well, we're going to make up our own stuff, which is going to be an assisted living facility for the elderly. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a campground for the kids. And it's going to be a tenement for people who can't afford anywhere to live. The conference is like, mm -hmm. we need that. Give us that. And so in the wow. 1930s, J.K. Humphreys is like, wait a minute. This sounds like slavery again. I'm, I'm, I can't mm -hmm. do that. And so he, he left and started the United Sabbath Day Adventist denomination. Right. But what happens today is, again, keeping in mind what I said about equity and redline and blockbuster. Mm -hmm. So. You know, our churches are in communities that are marginalized, you know, e impoverished, economically challenged, et cetera. And we own these churches. Right. Mm -hmm. And the conference tells you you own the church, but we hold the deed and trust. We hold it. That's right. That's exactly and right. So if you want to start something to help them, you have to form a, a separate 501c3. And then you got to understand the government regulations on that, where too many people mm -hmm. from the church board can't be on it. Got to have diversity of input. But so if you want to take your church, the mortgage, because you know, you, you've you been in the Adventist church. Well, we celebrate, oh, we burned our mortgage, right? We don't have yeah, a yeah. church, but then we, we return a note over the property, over to the conference. Yep, yep. And so if you say, you know, okay, look, Lawrence, who grew up at X, XYZ SDA church, he came to us with a business plan. We want to support it. Let's go pull some of the equity from this building that we own mm -hmm. so that we can pour into this young man to help build up this community. Mm. It don't happen. Right, 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 right. right so right. whether we're talking about the brain trust of the African-American community or the financial resources that represent that are represented by the land and the buildings that our churches and our conferences own, we have no, we, we got no get back. And so it's colonialism, right? It um, yeah. I think it was Stokely Carmichael talked about how under a capitalist system, listen to this, under mm -hmm. a capitalist system, the fruits of those who labor are enjoyed by somebody else. As wow. a matter of fact, we could say under capitalism, the fruits of the labor of the toiling masses enjoyed by those who do not labor man that joint was crazy man Keith is such a deep brother and he's doing work honestly though I, i'm curious to know what you guys think how y'all feel about what we just discussed just in regards to the church um at large and 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 the church in these subgroups like what what are your thoughts do you think the church should be doing more where do you think the conversation is going to go? Like, let me know. Hit me up on IG. Hit me up on Twitter. I just want to know your thoughts so far in the conversation. I'm going to give you all the next half at some point. Trust me, because I want you all to get the full idea of the conversation. So it's definitely coming. But until then, just remember to breathe because your breath comes from God, which makes it your most valuable resource. So <sighs> it will be OK. And I will holler at you all later. Peace.
This is a lake of fire, but I can't get home. I'm talking about it.